Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. And welcome, I'm John Fugelsang. And... It's great to have you with us. Congress is in the midst of its annual August recess. There are now 11 weeks until the midterm elections. Get some rest. We have a lot to get to on tonight's show. We have some great guests joining us tonight as well. One of our favorite journalists, a journalist journalist, Bob Henley, is going to be with us to talk about, well, how how we kind of have Chris Christie to thank for all of this in Magaland, as well as what uh, the Gannett news chain is doing with union busting and layoffs and stock buybacks. Enough stuff to amuse you and enrage you. And of course, your calls all night long at 866-997-4748. Chris Hauselt is our executive producer. He does this thing from South Carolina. Thea Harper, associate producer, joins us from Brooklyn. I'm here in New York. I'm going to be gone for uh, a couple of days. Turns out they make me take vacation, so I'm going to be leaving. You are in great hands because, number one, uh, the great Joe Sudbay will be filling in for a number of dates. I'll be back after Labor Day, so it'll just be like a week and a half or so that I'm not around. Joe is here. Joe is smart. Joe is passionate. It's kind of like if you want to if you want to hear this show on this channel in this time slot, but like with a guy who knows what he's doing, seriously, tune in for Joe Sudbay. He's everything I want to pretend I am. He's great. Also, I will be bringing you new content. We're going to have a great special on Labor Day itself with Kenneth C. Davis and Professor Harvey Kay. Also, drum roll, uh, our brand new interview with John Boyega is going to premiere on tonight's show. Now, uh, I, I don't know how this happened. Nobody told me, but John Boyega came in. We did a 30-minute interview talked about craft, talked about making Michael K. Williams' his last movie, talked about uh, being an actor, t- talked about racism, economic racism, structural racism, activism. In the very end, I brought up a Star Wars question, relating it to institutionalized racism and the treatment that Moses Ingram has received. Well, I, I guess someone at SiriusXM liked that part because they leaked it to the press. And so we are now, what are we, in deadline and variety tonight for uh, the big exclusive where John Boyega makes a startling revelation about his role in the Star Wars universe. It's big, literally big like deal. the last it's like the last 30 seconds of the interview. We talk about racism and craft and, and the plight of vets when they come home from unjust wars. And one question about Star Wars is why we're in variety for that interview. Wake me up when you hit InfoWars. I know. InfoWars is yet to pick it up. But it's a, it's, it's a pretty big scoop, what he said. It's got all people in the Star Wars universe talking. So that's a thing. Also, I am going to be performing live with Stephanie Miller's Sexy Liberal Comedy Tour. It is the Stephanie Miller Sexy Liberal Save Democracy Tour. We're doing Chicago later in September. Uh, but I will be with Stephanie and Hal Sparks and some special guests at the Sydney Harmon Hall in Washington, D.C. That's Saturday, the 10th of September. I am so thrilled to get back on the road. We are going to slay. We are going to break shit. It's going to be an amazing show. The midterm season kicks off September 2nd. In our nation's capital, go to sexyliberal.com for 
tickets. Now, I want to play you this clip. We're taking your calls all evening at 866-997-4748, asking you, uh, wh- where do you get your news? Where do you, who do you trust? Who do you not trust? Who does it make you crazy that other liberals trust for news? But here's Ron Johnson. Uh, Ron Johnson here, listen to this. This is the dumbest member of the Senate, really wanting Americans to know that he was only involved in trying to overturn the election and throw out democracy for, like, seriously, people, just a few seconds. And the campaign's control of the January 6th committee is scheduling more hearings, likely in September. Have you been asked to testify? Would you testify? No, I, I had nothing to do with January 6th. If they asked you to testify, though, would you? What would they ask me to testify about? The Republican electors and the slave. I, I, again, that, that, again, if, if another grotesque distortion. I had nothing to do with the alternate slate. I had no idea that anybody was going to ask me to deliver those. My involvement in that, that attempt to deliver mm. spanned the course of a couple seconds. Mm. I, got a, I think I fielded three texts and sent two and talked to my chief of staff that somebody wants you to deliver something. Yeah. Yeah, I, I knew nothing about it. And in the end, those electors were not delivered because we found out from vice president's staff they didn't want them delivered. End of story. They're, they're, again, I know that's been blown out of proportion. You think so? The, the January 6th committee didn't do their due diligence. What? And they blew us into like some you know massive conspiracy. Again, I, I had like virtually no involvement. Literally, my involvement lasted seconds. Okay. If the vice president's <laughs> chief of staff wanted to say, don't deliver these, would you have brought that document to the vice president? In what way could have I? Again, you know, we, we did our due diligence. So we, somebody handed us something. We're supposed to deliver to the vice president. Does he want it? Nope. Okay. End of story. That was it. <laughs> somebody, we did our due diligence. You see, Chris, somebody handed us something to deliver. Then it turned out he didn't want it. So we didn't do anything. But someone handed us something. That's it. He, he didn't really answer that last question. Just point. Happens at airplanes all the time. Someone hands me something, wants me to bring it on the plane for them. I don't ask questions. And the question, the question was, if the vice president had never said to you, oh, I don't want that, would you have delivered it anyway? Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. if you hadn't been told to stay away from this, wouldn't you have gone through with it? Of course you would have. You're a coward. You're a callow. A frail shell of a human. It, you're like yep. one of those. Unload, you're like preach. one of those cockroaches that you, you you're like. Oh my there god, a go. cockroach! And you're like, oh no, this cockroach passed away a long time ago. This is just the husk, and I just don't clean my apartment enough. That's Ron Johnson. <laughs> Serious golf claps from right here on that one. Thank you, Chris. I share your rage. By the way, New Oxford University large-scale study finds that people who've had COVID nineteen face increased risk of neurological and psychiatric issues, brain fog, psychosis, dementia, seizures, for up to two years after infection. Now, this study found that anxiety and depression are much more common after COVID, but typically go away within two months of the infection. This was published uh, last month in the Lancet Psychiatry Journal. It is the first to attempt to examine some of the heterogeneity of persistent neurological and psychiatric aspects of COVID-19 in a large data set. I've said it from the very beginning, guys. The scariest thing about COVID-19 is how little we know and how even less than that we know about the long-haul COVID. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? or the friends you find along the way. Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to Fail Better. David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, 
propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Fugel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. Uh, I'm so excited to welcome our next guest. I'm going to quote his recent piece. The day before President Biden signed the Inflation Reduction Act, hailed as our country's first real climate crisis action legislation, PBS reported that a new study showed the Arctic had warmed nearly four times faster than the rest of the world over the past 43 years. This means the Arctic is on average around three degrees Celsius warmer than it was in 1980. Uh, he also mentions how there was Jersey's Congressman Frank Pallone in the posterity photo of Biden signing the Inflation Reduction Act, $750 billion replacement for Build Back Better that was originally priced between two to four times the size of what ultimately passed. I am always thrilled to welcome this next journalist here. He is a journalist. Journalist Bob Henley is an award-winning writer who, during his 40-year career, has covered everything from public policy to corruption to the economy to homeland security to the environment and more. Senior reporter at WNYC for a dozen years. You've read his stuff in the Detroit Free Press, New York Times, Christian Science Monitor, and, of course, Salon. Bob Henley, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Thank you, sir. How are you doing? I'm uh, pretty energized. Um, I am. I I do this uh, drive time show in New York uh, on Mondays, and uh, the entire theme is labor. And I do like three sections in an hour, and every week there's a new crop of young organizers from different settings. It's amazing. Uh, in terms of unions, we had uh, organizing a warehouse in Bayonne. Um, a Starbucks in Montclair. There's uh, over 200 across the country. Starbucks. This is catching fire, um, and it's you know the first one in Staten Island made headlines, but now I mean there's been like a 60, 70 percent increase year over year in terms of the number of people filing to make their uh, workplace reflect their values and collectively work together for a better job situation and ultimately a better country. It's kind of hard to not feel incredibly patriotic seeing this new golden era of grassroots environmental organizing. And I keep reminding everyone whenever it comes up that this is not coming from any of our leaders. It is truly of the people. It is truly organic. And it's amazing to see how and terrible to see how Starbucks and Amazon and other employers are trying to handle this, and in many cases... Well, and it is linked, uh, right? The environment yeah. and the uh, the union movement are linked. And this generation, as I say to my uh, my grown daughters, uh, sorry about the planet, but the job market's looking up. Um, they are using their workplace and their consumer choices in, in a way, and with a kind of synergy both, to make sure that the world is a more fair and just place, and that there's a planet. And so... The synergy of those things together um, are challenging a, um, an older generation um, that kind of just uh, settled the, the complacency. And I think that's the kind of tension we see with this, um, you know, situation with the, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, which, as yeah. you mentioned, is a fraction of what originally was built back better. Uh, it is it, it marks some progress. The fact that for instance, hey, here's an idea. Let's have a 15% minimum tax for multinational corporations. That seems like a good idea, um, being that they're paying no taxes. Um, uh, let's have, you know, uh, the ability to have uh, to negotiate collectively for uh, keeping drug prices down with when you have buying power on the scale of tens of millions of people in Medicare. These are things that were considered progressive pipe dreams that are now codified black letter law what we left in the cutting room floor that we do have to own because america needs it the fact that we were not able to move the minimum wage off seven dollars and 25 cents an hour where it's been stuck, right. stuck since 2009 the fact that uh we had did not deliver on universal child care although we lost two million women out of the workforce who were drafted into 
being at home because public education collapsed for a period during the pandemic. That's there right. are a lot of steps that we can take to invest in individual households that will head off a recession. I mean, that's thing that drives me crazy, John. They say that we're headed into a recession and there's a problem with the labor market. Well, then make work pay. How about we we tax idle capital Thank more you. than we do labor? Thank you. <laughs> labor is, after all, the superior of capital, as Karl Marx, I mean, Abraham Lincoln said. Absolutely. <laughs> and you know what? I'm glad you said that, too, because it's also important that we not get discouraged or despondent over the failures. Here in, in, in Manhattan, we just saw workers at the Trader Joe's wine shop spend the last four months attempting to unionize their store, laying the groundwork, doing everything they had to do. They were going to go public the week of August 15th, and then early on August 11th, Trader Joe's abruptly told the entire team they were closing the wine shop, even though it's extremely popular, even though it's their only one in New York City. And we are going to see this. When workers try to go against corporate behemoths to get a living wage and decent conditions, we should expect, Bob, to see those workers lose their job and the corporations just close down the franchise. It's going to happen. Well, and this is part of their scorched earth policy. There was something that uh, got, I did originally for Insider NJ that got posted in Salon this afternoon about the situation of Gannett. Now, here is Gannett, a behemoth that has uh, over 250 newspapers, one in five local papers. It racks up huge amounts, hundreds of millions of dollars in debt. It mismanages uh, its franchise. And so its response is, it lays off reporters who we know coming out of the pandemic are essential for the country to understand, have situational awareness. And then they borrow money so that they can have a hundred million dollar stock buyback because a plan they made to bet on an Internet gaming facility didn't work out. They had a plan that they were going to have this international gaming oh, yeah. thing. Tipico was going to tap into USA Today. Well, no one looked at the fact that they only were licensed to two states. So rather than the C-suite <laughs> being deposed, they're going to punish reporters who make, on average, like $45,000 comparing to the CEO, Reed, who makes over $7 million. Yeah. And so I want to I I back this up, Bob. I want to back this up just to put some context on this, because right. I read this article that you wrote in Salon, and it's just amazing. And I want to put it in context of local news reporting. And how, how much that matters in a free society, because as you point out in the article in Ohio and Indiana, when we first heard the story about this alleged pregnant 10-year-old rape victim who had to leave Ohio and go to Indiana because of their abortion law uh, after the gutting of Roe v. Wade, it was the first post-Roe horror story. And we saw everyone go on Fox News and say it was a hoax. We saw so many people say it was too good to confirm in the, in the media. But it was local news reporters at Gannett's papers in Columbus and Indianapolis who actually right. confirmed it. So, like, we're at a time when, when groundbreaking, historic news is still being broken on the local level by reporters who worked for newspapers that have in the past few years been taken over by this gigantic Gannett syndicate, which controls, I mean, my God, how many, ho how many newspapers do they own in your well, home like state two, of Jersey. It, 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 well, in Jersey, it's like a long list of legacy papers. But what's happened is we've lost, in general, 2,100 newspapers since 2004, 92 of them in New Jersey. And so uh, to get to also to give local credit, Col the Columbus Dispatch and Indianapolis Star uh, were able to get to the facts that you describe, old-fashioned um, uh, shoe-leather reporting. Also, let's not forget the Austin American Statesman, it, which held the Uvalde and uh, uh, Texas state police and federal authorities that totally blew that response at that uh, Rob Elementary School. It was the Austin American statesman that held police accountable. And so when elected officials couldn't get the information, when the entire system collapsed and failed the parents, it was local reporters that redeemed the society because at least they could find out what was going on. I think if you look at this pandemic, it's no accident that the country's response to the pandemic was so badly fractured. And we still have such a large part of the population so misinformed. They think the last election was stolen because of the demise of local authenticated news and its replacement. That's right. By social media and free content driven by the likes of Facebook, who have analytics that are driven and fed by bias confirmation and prompting anger. I'm not speaking out of turn. 
This is stuff that their own internal whistleblowers have pointed out about them. So we've got to get back to the fundamental question, how do we know what we know? And ultimately, it's a human being that has to run the facts to ground. But let let me just let me just go back to the, the, the wonderful story point you put here, because, again, I understand how tough they've got it, right? We, we're seeing local print media dying at a mass scale, and it's horrifying, and this is just such a terrible time historically for people to be fighting for their union rights when print media itself seems to be on the endangered species list. But in the midst of all this, proving once again, sir, that what we call inflation is really just corporate greed, it's really just price gouging, the Gannett CEO, Mike Reed, takes in $7.7 million, while the average salary of one of his employees is $48,000. And then they're spending their extra money hiring union bust and attorneys. They have 11 open investigations for unfair labor practices. So what did they decide to do to make some money and make news profitable? Well, well of course, what they did, they, 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 they put millions and millions into betting on a partnership with a European internet gambling sportsbook operator. That's literally... <laughs> that logical. That's logical. I mean, Gannett... <laughs> you've read a Gannett newspaper. If you're listening to this show at some point in your life, you've read it or you've seen their logo on billboards around the country. USA Today. USA Today. And and they're blaming, you know, you write how there's a a 31% spike in newsprint cost and declines in print circulation and advertising revenues. But they lost 54 million literally betting on betting. It's... Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, they had they hyped the uh, they didn't do basic due diligence. The, uh, the Tipico had also got in trouble with Dutch regulators. There was an expectation they'd be able to have a robust national rollout. I, and also, I'm not so I, I am a little concerned in general about the whole way that we've embraced gaming rather than tax the wealthy. We exactly just not do anything else than hold great wealth accountable. And so as a consequence, we result, you see this proliferation of everything else but that. And so I also just think that we are seeing, by the way, there is a trend I mentioned in the story. 23 communities bought back their paper from Gannett. So yes. something is going on. I do say that again. Say that again, because I think that's kind of fascinating, sir. I think it's worth repeating. Twenty-three local newspapers have gone ahead right. and gone up to the corporate behemoth that bought them all out. And right. bought Community themselves was, back. Right. That's right. a really That's underreported right. trend, wouldn't you say? Yes. If the papers out, are buying themselves back. Slavery. That's right. Out of corporate bondage. <laughs> and the thing about it is that the, our tax system actually encourages companies to rack up huge amounts of debt. The more leveraged you are, the more you can take the interest That's right. as an expense. So there's a lot of work to be done to hold these corporations accountable, to make their brand pay. Because ultimately, when they do things like this, they're undermining their own long-term value. And that's why it's important to have the News Guild, CWA, standing up for these reporters in the newsroom and also making sure that there's a certain kind of standard for journalism. I mean, we've seen it's actually a civil defense issue. This republic hung by a thread because its population was poorly informed. (laughs) <laughs> well, speaking of poorly informed, l- let me let me bring up Donald Trump because you. <laughs> you <got> to... <laughs> well, your your yes. other new piece, your other new piece yes. in Salon uh, is it, it it touches my heart, sir, because you begin talking about all the problems the former host of Celebrity Apprentice is living with, and you know the the media feeding frenzy over the release of the DOJ search warrant and how Trump is kept on changing what his reasoning was, what his excuse was, his executive privilege. Well, it was all declassified, but the FBI planted it there, and I never knew about it anyway. And these lies keep coming down. And and again, this is after Trump kneecapped the Biden transition, carried out a terrorist attack on the peaceful transition of power. And you write, how did we come to this nadir where the DOJ must go to a judge to sign a warrant so the FBI can search the residence of a former president? You actually pin the beginning of all of this on the 2016 Republican National Convention in a speech by someone who's been a guest on this show, ABC News personality Chris Christie. (laughs) I did not know that. Uh, Yes, it was. I was there in Cleveland on the apron of the stage, and it was very surreal. There was Chris Christie, who covered for many years as a local politician. 
uh, for WNYC. And then, you know, he had the huge drive-in size uh, Tubitron behind him. And he did that speech, the vilification of Secretary of State uh, Hillary Clinton. And I remember feeling like I'd been to maybe 20 years of these conventions, and I'd never seen the vilification of another person yeah. and the entreaty of a crowd. And that's where the famous locker up came from. And particularly the phrase that, that caught my ear was how he said, since the Justice Department won't deliver you Hillary Clinton, since they won't hold her accountable, I – now this is a former uh, uh, U.S. attorney, an employee of the Department of Justice. Now he is going to hold her accountable and use the audience as the jury. And then he went on and said a hominem attack and then entertained this back and forth with the Greek chorus where they would say, lock her up. And that was – That's right. And it was so interesting because this is exactly the kind of thing that now – this is I've heard other – uh, people who get into the psychology of Donald Trump, Lord help them, point out that projection is the key thing that happens with these folks. And so yes. it was a fascist moment. At that point, the grand old party became something entirely different. And it's never been the same since. You even point out, and again, I've always blamed this as originating with Gingrich, but you, you really nail it here in this piece, you know, how Christie took Clinton to task for going easy on Vladimir Putin. By going to the Kremlin on her very first visit and giving him a symbolic reset button. Um, she, you know, the button should have said delete. She's good at that because she deleted in four years what it took 40 years to build. It's just, oh, my God, this guy, this, this guy. And, and I took I did take some comfort in the, reading the piece, knowing that Chris Christie most likely will never be elected to any office again. Well, I mean, he did also act. Remember, early on, it was him and, and Jeff Simmons who were. The reference, right, um, uh, Jeff Sessions from uh, from Alabama. Those were the two grown-ups, professional politicians who had gotten elected to something, standing up for the mob boss, and and he knew better, but he thought that was the that was the, his uh, his his trip to fame. And of course, now I do find it strange. I don't know why the media there's there's so many other. I don't know why they hire these people to continue to have them as, as for access. I, I don't get that. I mean, I don't know. I guess it, um, it, it's, it's, it's troubling too, that even now we're having trouble holding Trump accountable. Uh, when you think of the fact that the secret service texts went missing. Now we know that inspector general um, looked the other way. I mean, as I told you last time, there is a little bit of um, anxiety that, we, we still haven't gotten ahead of this. It is still yeah. an unstable country. That's why what we do in November is so critical, because voters have to restore order. We have to restore order. We can't count on somebody else doing it. The cavalry is not coming. They've been kicking around like F Troop now for several yep. years. The American right. people have to throw these guys out. Mr. Bob Henley, it is always a great honor and pleasure having you with us. I wish you a very happy Labor Day, and I'm excited to have you back a few more times before the midterm elections. What's the best way for our listeners to keep up with your work? At Stuck Nation, because we surely are. Thank you so much, sir. We will have you back very soon. It's always a great joy. Follow him at Stuck Nation, people. This is Progress. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. I'm 
I'm so excited for this conversation. Um, Avi Damaris Corbin's new film, Breaking, tells the deeply American story of a man whose name you might not know, Brian Brown Easley, a former Lance Corporal in the U.S. Marine Corps, who was denied support from the Department of Veterans Affairs in 2017 and took over a Wells Fargo bank with a bomb in an effort to get $892 owed him by the VA. It's the kind of story Americans should know, but Americans don't, unless a very responsible, courageous artist decides to tell the story. And for the role of Brian, Corbin cast John Boyega, who first burst upon the international cinema scene in Attack the Block, leading to uh, a few little-known indies like Star Wars Episode Seven, Pacific Rim Uprising, Steve McQueen's Small Acts, which Americans need to watch, and he has become known as an artist willing to use the capital of celebrity to fight for the rights and dignities of all peoples. It's a it's a really moving film about a man trying to shed light on how he's been wronged by institutions and it connects directly to the mental health struggles that our veterans have. It's an amazing ensemble cast. It includes Nicole Bahari, Olivia Washington, uh, Selena Sleva, and our friend, the late Michael K. Williams, plays the role of an officer determined to talk Brown easily out of the situation. Um, it's a really special film, and it's a really a pleasure to welcome John Boyega. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here. What a character for you. Oh, I know. I mean, I, I, I've, I've loved everything since Moses. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> wow. This character, this, this Marine War veteran facing mm-hmm. these mental and emotional challenges, trying to reintegrate back into civilian life, it, in watching it, my first question is, what is it that tells you, yes, I want to do this role? What is it about a character that makes you commit to giving a chunk of your life mm-hmm. to go into a character like this? I was um, actually in the crossroads. I just um, finished a project in New Orleans and I didn't know what I was doing next. And this script just came to me via my agent, Femi. Um, and Femi has a filtering system with, with with scripts. I think now he knows what I would like to even read. He's known so, you a long time. Yeah, he's known me since I was 16. So in that filter, he was like, trust me, this one, you're going to want to read it. Um, and his main reasons was, this is a story you've never heard before. So the shock effect of that, this is a true story and you've never heard this perspective is, is important for you as an artist. But also at the same time, this script is magnificent. The collaboration between Abby and Kwame Kweyamar. Mm-hmm. Kwame Kweyamar, who... So happened to give me my first job ever on stage in London, wrote, uh, co-wrote on Breaking. Oh, really? Um, and so in reading the role, in knowing the the, the other uh, actresses and actors they wanted to, to to go to to offer, I was like, yeah, this is this is an opportunity for me to show some some range, and then to go dig deeper into a story that a lot of people haven't heard about. I mean, you do a great American accent. Thank you. It's a delight. Thank but you. this voice mm. that you found for him goes deeper into levels of subtlety. I mean, yeah. I know guys who really talk exactly like this. Yeah. Um, and I want to get to the voice, but what was the process by which you came to accept the role? Because I understand you had very little turnaround time. Yeah, two weeks, two weeks turnaround time. So when I said yes to the role, then they had to go and sort out logistics, locations, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I had to sit down with Abby's research first. And Abby had just a collection of all the details you could possibly have surrounding this case with Brian Brown Eastley. Um, and also we had the information from from his family, from his ex-wife uh, about him as a person. And myself and Abby just sat, you know, sat down for a minute. And, and that was our, let's say, our makeshift rehearsal. Um, we got into the character. She, she got into what she would, how she'd like me to portray Brian, knowing that there were two sides to Brian. There was a point where Brian's mental health would get the best of him and mm-hmm. he would express through that. And then sometimes where you've got the soft, subtle Brian who, who, who wouldn't hurt a fly. Um, and and we, we always called that big Brian, small Brian. Mm-hmm. So we would pinpoint when when those two characters would show up in the script and, and, and a few other things that we've done. It was cool. I mean, it's really interesting seeing how well modulated he is as a man and, yeah. and how you play it in the wrong hands. Mm. The story of a mentally damaged veteran yeah. who takes people hostage yeah. might be mawkish or yeah. grossly exploitative in this case. Brian didn't hold anyone hostage, did he? Right, right, he never no. actually held anyone hostage. He mm. just, and, and he never wanted to rob the bank. Mm-hmm. He only did this so the world would know he just wanted the $892 yeah. that was owed him by the society that sent him to I war. Mean, once you get into the once you get into the bank and, and you see that he secured the area, it, it starts to become about, you know, just wanting to be heard. Just um and, and of course, you know, you would never want someone to, to go to this decision, you know, to in order to be heard. But it, it begs a question on why isn't he heard? Why is it so hard for, for, for the veterans? Why is it so hard for their voice to, to, to matter, you know, after serving for so long and, and basically risking your life for a whole for a whole powerful nation. It, it doesn't add up. So the frustration is 
was a steady build. And as we went through these scenes, we were like, Abby was just like, I know you're doing 40%, but I think at this moment, Brian's really frustrated. Let's get hit 75. Okay, bring it back down. And so it, it was a continuous um, study into basically disintegration of somebody's mentality, men, their, somebody's mind as they go through some of the most intense moments of their life. Well, yeah, um, I mean, it's so it's so intensely personal and it's yeah. so intensely political yes. because this is not an uncommon story yeah. and how these men white guys too, low yeah. income men yeah. who are just sent off for these wars based Our on lies. Our director's dad, you know. Yeah. Same same situation. Abby has that personal experience, like really personal experience um, about this and, and some of which she was able to utilize for the research and for our, our brief rehearsal period. So it's like, yeah, this is a this is a real situation, you know, and, and it's something that is coming up much more frequently. When you get a script and only have two and a half weeks, <laughs> I would imagine it, it changes your process. Oh, yeah. What would, what would your normal process be when you got a couple of months between first reads and then rolling? I, I think the first thing I'll be doing is, is getting the body right. So depending on the body, I'd be in training for that. And then I'd be reading the script as if it was, you know, you know, biblical text on Sunday school. Yeah. I'll be memorizing my lines, everybody's lines, intention. I just know the script in a way that's kind of like, uh, it, it, it gives you a fluid approach yeah. to, because you're not learning lines really. All you're doing is saying something that you've, that you've taken in and that you've embodied, you know. I'd you're get, learning story. Yeah, you're you learning story. Lines, yeah, yeah, yeah. Story is what to, to pinpoint, you know, like, where do I pinpoint for the audience to know that, you know, that this is this is a really big breaking point. When do I bring it back and, and have it subtle? So I'd have more time to do that. But with this, it's, I don't know, man, I compare it to the guys at Top Gun, you know, it's like a, it's a, just an intense back-to-back training period where yeah. you just have to just squeeze everything into this one little situation. But it was good. I just learned the lines first and it was easy to get in because I loved the script. Once I read the script, if I can read three scenes and I'm standing up and I'm wanting to do it already, yes. then then it, it, it just sometimes at this point falls into place. And then, you know, we were on set and it was showtime. The character work is beautiful. Um, mm. He's a low-key Marine yes. and you play him uh, so beautifully as someone who takes pride mm -hmm. in restraining his emotions, yes. who is always courteous, who is always respectful, who yes. does not wish to harm anyone. Mm -hmm. What was your process? in nailing his voice because mm. as unrecognizable as you look mm -hmm. you sound even more so yeah i showed some of this film to my little one uh, <laughs> he had no idea it was you oh wow. there's gonna be a lot of that going yeah, on. yeah 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 how did you approach getting the pitch mm -hmm. the tenor of his voice mm -hmm. that alone is a beautiful part of the performance I, I spoke to abby about it and you know in reality these are one of the elements that had to be dramatized because of the circumstances because in reality brian would have been soft-spoken throughout the whole movie and there were only moments where he went across the line. But in this, you know, to show the the, the intensity, to, to have this be a steady build to that, you know, crescendo that you see at the end, um, there was something about playing between subtle, sometimes playing between deep and harsh, um, and then sometimes playing, you know, casually funny. Um, and I, I felt like the, the script in itself, you know, was the emphasis for that work. You know, you could tell that, it wasn't going to be always going to be tonal. I wasn't always going to be under my breath saying, you know, you know, trigger the alarm. I wasn't always going to do that. There was going to be an, an, an essence of, of, of variety within these ranges of voices. I just feel like that's my job, you know, as an actor. Did you shoot different takes where you took yeah. different levels? Oh, yeah. I, we, we had takes where Abby would come in and be like, I love what you're doing there. We have that. Give me, give me Brian just subtly. Just give, give me quiet Brian. And sometimes she even say, give me no lines. Yeah. You know, there were so many moments where, um, you know, you, you wouldn't know where Abby was going to go with it because we were in one, one place in that bank. And there's something magical about being on one location when you're filming. It becomes theatre and the culture of yes. theatre starts to influence the set. Well, that's what's so beautiful about the work because not only is it almost all in one location, yeah. but most of your time on camera is with two other actors. Yes. It's just the three of you. Yeah. And they had had a couple of months to prepare for the role, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, they got some time to prepare for it, but they didn't have time to do chemistry reads with me, which we would normally do. We'd normally get into the space, feel out the space, rehearse it a little bit more, have a sit down, a read through. They didn't get, nobody got any of that. So it, it definitely felt, well, which was good though, because yeah, Brian doesn't know these two banks. And I didn't, I didn't introduce myself to Nicole and Celine's like, it was straight up, let's get the cameras rolling. That fear of, that unknowing fear of, I don't know who this guy is. And we haven't, we haven't had the whole, hey, I'm John Boyega, I'll come to my trade. We haven't had all it. of that. I love it. it just brings something different to, to the film in itself because Nicole is legit looking at me like, 
is he okay? <laughs> like, is he, you know, there's, there's so moments that, you know, were inspired by the nature of, of, of this set. Their performances are beautiful and, and much of the film, they're terrified that you're going to blow them up. Yeah. At the same time, they grow to see the injustice that's been yeah. perpetrated on this man. And yeah. that's what's beautiful. What, what kind of rehearsal process did you get with the two of them? We would come in in the morning um, and then we'd line up the shot and then we'd, just read read through it like sat down on set so we have a little read through and and just read through the scene and then you know this is this indie filmmaking this you yeah. know we can't we can't, know, we can't spend money like the big you know the big studios and stuff so we have to get straight to to shooting after that but there's yeah there's, you're not going to fix it with cgi no 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 there's right. no yeah no you're not going to fix it it's, it's 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 literally do wonders as that camera rolls um but I, I i'll be honest with you the performance that you saw in break it from me i'll say this hands down that it could it couldn't have been possible without selena's and, and nicole because um chemistry wise um responding mm -hmm. you know and listening is is a big feature and a big thing that 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 prompts good acting and for me i wouldn't have been able to have these magical moments that i couldn't found find within my own head without you know the acting work of selena's and and, and nicole was just brilliant and to say nothing of the fact that these are three african-american characters yes and yet that's never I mean, the politics are always there, mm -hmm. um, but it's never actually discussed. Mm -hmm. The average white audience member won't even realize it because the story is so engrossing and so universal. Yeah, it's a big universal story. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's all about class. It's all about injustice. Yes. It's, it's such a political film. And I know that you did speak with his family mm -hmm. yeah. before yes. working on the film. Yeah. I'm curious, what was that experience like? And, and did they have any requests that they imparted to you to realize him? It was it was, it was nerve wracking. I can't lie because this is this is the only story that I've I've done that's as recent. You know, yeah. this is the most recent story that I've done based on a true story that doesn't have that di distance or detachment. You know, we don't have to go to the owners of the estate to you know to to greenlight and give us the information. With this, it's someone who knew him. Just bear in mind, just a few years ago. Um, but there was notes that I needed. You know, his 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 softness in his voice, um, eye contact, like. Even when I watched the footage on the CCTV, he wasn't he he wasn't too privy to looking in people's eyes all the time. You know, mm -hmm. there was there was a sense yeah. of vulnerability, a sense of softness. Very gentle. Um very, very gentle. Um and in speaking to his family, that was emphasized, especially by Jessica. She was just like, That man, he does not it takes him a lot to even shout. You know, it takes him a lot to even do certain things. I was like, you know what? These are the intricate notes that I'm gonna to use to build this build this character. I mean, a lot of press I've read is comparing this film to Dog Day Afternoon, which is a yeah. great film, but- Fantastic film. They have nothing in, I mean, they're so- it, Oh yeah. It's, it's, I a, mean, it's a bank, there's a negotiator, you, know you goes, feel man. for the guy. Yeah, you know how it goes, It's such man. a different story. I've, I've, heard, I've heard a lot, and I think, I think people will be, will be surprised by what, they, by what they get when they, when they go to sit down and watch it. Yeah. Uh, a, a major part of this film, of course, it shows how veterans are all too often treated in the states i'm yeah. curious would this scenario happen to vets in the uk yeah it does yeah really it does yeah there's a there's a there's a it's a global issue when it comes to this i actually learned uh, from my trainer who's uh, also ex-military and he was talking to me about the circumstances of that as well and why he would never fight for for a nation or a talkless of a western world um i think that there is definitely if a vet from uh, america and a vet from the uk were to meet each other there will be some through lines um i think obviously sure. geographically the states is bigger, bigger problems. You know what I mean. But definitely, there 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 is that through line of of communication, and there was a and I knew that through Kwame and Abby being able to share different perspective on various family members, friends that they've met. You know, there there's that universal language when it comes to this, uh, and I wonder why. Well, there's also a a dynamic of both vets in the UK and and in the US yeah. have had a decade and a half to realize. I mean, they were where, hoodwinked. Tony Blair you, and George Where you Bush. go, we go. You know, Tony Blair, you know, Tony Blair was like, ah, you look, get out there. Um, but that's and, and it. we I look mean, to America. Only those two countries. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, the rest of the world didn't yeah. buy the Iraq thing. And yeah, it's no, our no. vets it's, that are yeah. suffering from the lie. I mean, we, we, we definitely, we definitely bought it. I mean, for, you know, it, from the stem of what our anger was, was 9-11, right? You know, our, our country was locked down as if we were in New York. So yeah. you, you see that, that connection, here. right? They're taking me out of school saying something's happening in New York. I'm like, but we're in London. But it's like, now I know older, I'm like, oh, the connections, uh, you know, how we back each other, our allies. Yeah. Um, 
through that you hear similar stories from from people you know during that same here but but 9-11 zero iraqis zero iranians zero afghans and it kept making me angry watching the film yeah because this man's suffering and the 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 raw deal he got Mm -hmm. is a symptom of a greater lie of a greater injustice that killed a million people the dude that can't fight that gets you angry at the other dude yeah because they can't talk it out and they can't do nothing about it but they have some power and it just gets you into conflict with, with with people you don't want to be in conflict with. And with looking into Brian and looking into his situation and circumstance, and he expresses this within the scenes. This is something that he he came to realize was was just you know stressful on him. Didn't 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 pay back in any positive benefits. And this is what led to this extreme. You're gonna have choice. a lot of veterans coming up to you with a lot of love. I already, I already have, already have. I was in Encino in L.A. with my mom buying her sneakers because she said her feet were hurting. <laughs> I, had to, I had to take her to Westfields in this Encino. Went down there and 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 this um, vet came up to me and said, dude, I saw your trailer. He said, I'm not going to be able to see it the first week when it comes out, but he goes, I'm going to go in the second week because I'm, I'm waiting for one of my other veteran, veteran friends who's going to come into town and we're going to see it together because I need emotional support to see it um, because this is something that is so close to to what we experience and the discussions that they're, that they're having right now. Um, and I was just so, sh- I was in Westfield, just like shocked, like, wow, like someone that's actually been in this situation, been in this circumstance, took it upon himself to, to tell me as an artist that there is accuracy to what, what story you're trying to, you're trying to tell. You well, know? think about how hard it is for men, for, for, for straight guys to talk about mental health issues. And I think that's, a, and that's, and that's, um, brewing a, a lot. Um, but also about sometimes how we can hold back ourselves through, you know, a, a male, uh, the toxic male masculinity sometimes you could be holding us back from ex- expressing. Oh, military uh, guys especially. Yeah, you know, someone sometimes it's, it's not someone holding your tongue, it's you holding your own tongue based on your influence off of society and various other things. But, but again, uh, it's yeah. like they're, it so easily could have gone the wrong way. Could have, yeah. You know, the vet with mental health problems. Yes. I mean, it's so rare to see a film that actually explores mental health in a serious adult way rather than uses it as yes. a device to have someone do evil shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is this is this is ab- about the symptoms of that, and then also added with frustrations with the with the circumstances. You living in a motel, can't afford to take care of your daughter, don't have no word to say for her that could be motivational because of your circumstances. Exactly. All of that is, it must it must be a, a, a detriment on the mind, and then that with a, a clinical issue. Yeah, you know, you're you're, you're going to explode eventually, you know. I mean, this movie made me really angry so many times, but the artistry of it just kept wowing me. And of course, our friend Michael K. Williams uh, in this film, his his last feature film, and uh, you guys, he plays the negotiator who's trying to talk Brian yeah. down. You don't have actually any scenes on camera together, but you mm-hmm. do spend a good amount of time on yeah. the phone with each other. And this was the process for that. We we had all the actors that were on the phone come into set and read behind the it. camera. I love it. Um, and Michael was spearheading that. I mean, he was there dressed in the nines, you know, you know, Michael's got the best taste in dressing, <laughs> but he'd be behind ca- uh, camera and completely transform. He'll completely transform and give you those offline. So when you have that emotions on the phone, you're thinking, you know, wow, how did they do that? It's because, you know, there was an actor right there feeding that energy live. So yeah, it really helped. So it wasn't like he was in another room on the phone. He was in he the was room right physically there. having the dialogue with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes we'd, because Abby would prefer some some distance, you know, it affects your pitch sometimes when you're on the phone and the actual person is in another room. So sometimes when we wanted that distance, we wanted it to feel like, you know, Brian is, you know, hitting a brick wall, having all these voices saying that they can help. And then these phone calls like, you know, leading to failure. We wanted to have sometimes some distance. So Michael would go into another room and that would give it a scene, a, a whole other difference as well. Um, but the through line, the magic through line of 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 what was created within breaking is something that I'm I'm particularly proud of. I feel like I became a a better actor just working alongside people like this. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think people will become better actors watching this film. It's yeah, just yeah. the craftsmanship is so, so on yeah. display. But for me, it's such a interesting choice for you because I'm one of the people who was uh, very grateful for the comments you made. Mm at a rally honoring George Floyd mm. in London in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, that clip went famously viral. Yeah. And for me, it was just such an act of compassion on behalf of an artist mm. and outrage. I think celebrity might be the silliest thing humans have ever invented. I know, man. It's a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah. Double-edged sword, I'd say. Right, but when someone takes that yes. and uses it for something greater mm-hmm. than all of us, for mm-hmm. something that helps the marginalized, that helps people like George Floyd, who don't get movies made about him yeah. normally. Yes. Um, that seemed like it was very extemporaneous, mm-hmm. that speech you gave. I, mm-hmm. I got that you went there, but did you have in mind that you were going to speak into a megaphone to the crowd that day? No. So 
we had seen well, all the the solid two weeks leading up to that date, we had seen so many black bodies being harmed consistently. Yeah. Um, and it was very frustrating to the point where we had cases in the UK. We had Belly Majinga who passed away. That's right. Uh, Abro Abdi who passed away uh, due to, to due to racist bullying. There was a lot of things going on, and it, it all reached a crescendo. And you know, I, I, I'm sure you felt this. Everyone felt helpless at the time. It's like you know, what could we honestly do? Um, but as these protests start to build up in the United States, there was you know, there's a through line. I'm from the diaspora, yeah. um, especially being a black man from the diaspora. You know, yeah. a lot of American friends, people from here. So that connection started to to happen. And this charity, Justice for Black Lives, um, basically brought everyone together in Hyde Park and said come out and support and right and and by the way I wasn't the only one going down there you know everyone was going Louis, yeah. Louis, Lewis Hamilton texted me was like yeah, yeah I'm on my way everybody was going down and everyone felt some type of way to show solidarity um and the speech only happened because we were waiting for Belly Majinga's family to come to come down and, and represent her and, and and give a speech and then a few other people were going they asked you to fill yeah they just asked <laughs> me fill in yeah she was she, she was you know stuck in traffic people had been the way they organized it was was amazing they had consistent groups um going throughout all the major bridges in london so when those groups would leave um to leave Hyde Park to go into central London, there was still a waiting period for new people who came because new people come, you have to discuss why we're doing it, give them the motivation, have them speak, and then they go out and march. Um, and in that continuous flow, uh, we were just waiting. I was just there with my sister. We took an Uber down, mm -hmm. got to Hyde Park. We had been protesting for three hours and a girl with a megaphone was just like, can you just, just say a few words? And yeah, I, I don't know what came over me, man. I just, I had to say what was on my mind. And it was the essence of, yes, you know, it is heartbreaking. It is, it doesn't feel right to have this done done to you. But I I like the fact that in that opportunity, I also spoke about the responsibility we have as men. Exactly. And that responsibility that is dwindling. Um, you know, people can say, you know, it starts at home. It starts in the home. And for me, the head of the household, you know, who who has most likely has the ability and the power to make changes for those that who are in the household. It's been kind of lost in the messaging somewhere. Um, well, we don't have men. That. We don't have men in this country. We have boys, guys, homies, players, and dudes. Right? <laughs> I never ain't never heard that. <laughs> right? But I hear it. Like, you know, actually, men. You know, and the definition of that being it, us us to be able to discuss that and to be able to learn from older men, people who have you know. But in terms of righteousness, character. in terms of righteousness yeah. and, and morality, not morality. just the ability to beat the shit out of somebody. Yeah, but yeah, but also the ability to to get to a point in your life where you're kind of like, what, this this power, this privilege as men, we know what the privilege is, man. Go out in the midnight, you can walk, you know, three hours down the street, you ain't feeling no type of way. Mm -hmm. A woman goes and does a whole different experience for her. Uh, you know, a woman comes up and, uh, and chats to you in a bar, you know, you're in heaven. It happens to a woman, it, it can be a whole different exactly. experience. So, you know, the, the, the privilege to a certain extent comes with a responsibility to me and specific to, specifically to black men, um, I just don't think the conversation is healthy if we aren't looking at what's against us, but looking at what we are doing to ourselves. Um, and I think it's very, very is a very, very important message. But that's part of institutionalized racism, don't you think? I mean, when you say what we are doing to ourselves, mm. the power structure. Yes. The dead white men that lived a long time ago that set this up. Yes. They're the ones that instilled that generational depression that yes. that institutionalized low self-esteem mm. it's, it's it can be it can be hard for people to navigate that especially when you don't know that's happening and you don't know your influence by those by those things so that's why i just think it's important you know for pe just people in certain positions to just talk your talk your truth that kind of speaks to us having responsibility and, I, and when i was saying that i was speaking to myself too because i'm like damn what am i doing like, actually you know when you point a finger how many fingers is pointing back at yeah. you yeah at least three. But that's why it was beautiful because, so, you, know, you know, you could have you could have faced, uh, what do they say, like uh, commercial consequences for doing that. But oh, I yeah. saw... I saw them helicopters in the air. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, man. Phone might stop ringing. <laughs> but, you no, know, but it, it's it, like, it, but, the, but the world was on your side, yeah, too. I yeah. mean, 26 I, I was million so people shocked. were marching. I was, I was so shocked. I was honestly so shocked. I couldn't, couldn't I, believe it. I, 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 when I saw that clip, I'm like, oh, there's the son of a preacher. Yeah, that's, that's what I got it. because it wasn't about that's... anger. It was about outrage. It my was dad about was justice. in Nigeria freaking out because the way one of my family members explained what I was doing to my dad was not the right way. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> John has gone Jesus and has just set up a church in the middle of the street and loads of people were coming down. My dad was like, wait, what? And dad watched the clips and was just like, oh, that's what you mean. Um, but I think it's just, you know, sometimes things are on my mind. Um, and I know how I come across as a wealthy young man. And I'm kind of like, yeah. 
opportunities where I get to express sometimes the nuance that people don't necessarily know about of course. is 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 a beautiful opportunity. The as immigrant as, experience, know, the black experience. Yes, yeah. yes. You know, it, it's it's important. But to have that nuanced conversation, I think right now you go on social media, it's, it can be, uh, it feels like algebra to me. Two oh, plus please. two is four. If you do this, that means this. If they, you know, women do think like this, men think like, and that, that simplicity with yeah. such intricate talking points is like, yeah. it's, it throws me off. So, Well, when you're going against the dumbing down of a culture, it's going to be a rocky road. It's, a rocky, I mean, it's a rocky road, yeah. I, I'm thinking of, uh, of uh, Moses Ingram, who's mm. in this Obi-Wan yes. series, and yeah. uh, so much racism thrown at her. I saw that. But yeah. Disney was there. They had a plan. And it seemed like, oh, Disney learned along the way to have a plan for these sort of things to happen. Yeah. When it happened to you, yeah. I don't think there was a game plan. I don't think they saw hey, it coming. Man. That's how it goes, man. That's how it goes. But but that's the piece that I felt. Moses Ingram being protected makes me feel protected. Do you understand what I'm saying? It makes me feel like, okay, cool. I am not the elephant in the room. Because when I started, it wasn't really a conversation you could bring up. You know you know how they went through it. It was oh, kind of yeah, like, let's just be silent. Oh, it he's bringing this up again. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't a conversation you could bring up. But now to see how blatant it is, to see Ewan McGregor come and support is is... It, for me, fulfills my time where I didn't get the support. It doesn't make me feel bitter at all. It makes me feel like sometimes you're that guy. And my dad taught me that. Sometimes you're not the guy to get the blessing. Sometimes you're Moses, you know, you lead the people to the, to the mountain, but you see the destination. You don't get to go in. You get others to go in and that's where you get your happiness from. And for me to see other people accepted and then at the same time to see that the studios now are like, okay, cool. This is not an elephant in the room conversation. We need to support our black client. It's it's fantastic. Okay, but I'm gonna I'm gonna praise you one more time then because uh, I I thought what you did um, after uh, episode nine was mm. a lot like what you did in the park that day in London mm. when you said, I'm gonna quote you, what I say to Disney is, do not market a black character as yeah. important and then mm -hmm. push them aside. I I feel like they heard you. Yeah, no, no, and but. As they, sh as they should, even if you want to remove race out of it, just from a business perspective, don't don't tease no black. You know what that does to black people. You know how you guys got everybody motivated around Black Panther. Don't tease no and market no Black Panther. Uh, market a black actor and switch and, and bait. Switch it. Yeah. You don't do it with white actors. You don't do it. You don't. So don't think you can have this skill set where you're going to put everybody on plasters. You got you got white people and black people excited, and then we come in and they in it for five minutes. You know, know, they die at the beginning. It's like, or they're the best friend. Where's, always, the where's the character arc? Where is the what, character Where's arc? the character arc? But, where, but, but why is it also that, you know, when you get, sometimes it can be writer's block, but why is it also that when you have this writer's block, you know, that affects these type of actors? <laughs> why is it, you know, Thank you. you still got a rich story coming through. Why can't it be spread out? And for, for me, those because conversations some characters are, get stories, some characters get tying up loose ends. I mean, we know the difference. I mean, yeah. we can feel it on set. It's like, yeah, we don't need you no more. Bye. Oh. Oh, we're not in this. You, you can feel it, but the, what the conversation does is it, it 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 for me is so positive because it gives other actors the ability to be able to say, okay, look, I'm not comfortable with this, or this is what's happened to this is the kind yes. of support I need, and that for me is what I wanted out of everything. I wanted to be able to walk into a room, a black actor, whenever they feel some type of way, they can go to the studio head and say, this is this is how I feel, this is the support I need, and they can get that. It won't be a weird conversation. And me knowing that, I'm like, cool. Will you play the character again? At this point, I'm 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 cool off it. I'm good off it. I think, um, to be fair, what I've the allies that I found within Joel Taylor and Jamie Fox, Tiana Paris, Viola Davis, all these people I've been working with, um, versatility is my is is my path. And I think I think Finn is Finn is at a good you know confirmation point where you can just you know enjoy him in other things, the games, the animation. But right. I, I feel like yeah, seven to nine was good for me. Yeah, that was good for me. <laughs> go play James Bond and then in 10 years, Disney will bring hey, a truck man. of money over and try and talk <laughs> you into it again. Hey man, go back when you're 79, Chewie were home, saying. <laughs> Harrison Ford that a little bit. <laughs> right, yeah, he's yeah, not yeah. sad about it. Yeah. Uh, John, thank you so much for, for sharing and opening up so much. Um, I'm looking forward to all your movies this year, but thank Breaking you. is in theaters now. Do mm -hmm. yourself a favor and go see it and I can't yeah. wait to see what you do next. No, thank you, much appreciate it. We'll be right back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. 
Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Let's get back to the phone because y'all have been so patient on hold and we thank you for that. Linda in Illinois, welcome. Hi, John. I just got there because I'm going to miss you. Oh, I'm just going to be gone a little tiny. I'll be I'll, I'll be back right after Labor Day, and we're still going to have brand new stuff. What I really called about was to tell you, Val Demings is one of my favorites, and I don't know her either, but I'd love to. I wanted her to be uh, Biden's pick for vice president. I did, too. I, You know what? This is taking nothing away from Kamala Harris, but I was like, you know, right. uh, people vote in Florida, and if your vice president happens to be a black woman from Florida, who used to be the chief of police in Orlando, kind of helps you, Democrats. It's only going to help with turnout in that state. I, 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 listen, I'm thrilled. I, I think that there's going to be greater turnout because she's on the ticket. I hope so. Um, can I just say a little something about this tax thing? These, uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Um, my opinion is I am. I was a regular worker, a regular middle class, probably low middle class nowadays. Uh, and I'm retired now. Uh, people shouldn't have to worry when you get a W-2. It's Yeah, they're going to be going after the, the much richer people that have all these tax hiding things. True. I mean, they're, they're talking about some of their tax forms are 100 pages. Mine's a sheet, you know? I mean, come yes. on. Uh, I mean, are, are people really that, I don't, I don't know, ignorant? I'm, I'm trying to use a kind word that they actually believe that they're going to be targeted? Well, I mean, the people who want to believe what Fox News tell them will believe what Fox News tells them. I mean, poll after poll after poll, right, shows that Americans support taxing the wealthier uh, at, a, at a more fair proportion, okay? And you got Bill Clinton right. who raises the tax rates on the wealthiest Americans three percentage points. They act like it's the end of the world. Uh, Bush gets into all, but we do well economically. Bush gets in, cuts taxes on the rich, things go to hell. Obama comes in, and Barack Obama says, hey, let's raise it back three points like Bill Clinton did. He had to be elected first in 2008, and then in 2012 reelected just to get that three points percentage. So Joe Biden runs on, hey, let's make billionaires pay their fair share. The highest turnout of any candidate in the history of our elections puts him in office. He finally tries to do it. And you know what? It turns out getting the rich to pay their fair share of taxes, if you're serious about it, means you need more IRS people because the rich can always afford to have more accountants themselves. We, the people, need to hire more of our people to go there and see who's robbing us. And that is the basis of all of Fox News's umbrage. They are hiring thousands of new accountants at the IRS. They're going to come after you. Never mind the fact that it's a law. It's a law that says that they will only raise taxes on those who make over $400,000 a year. Fox doesn't care. Fear is all they've got. I like the part that they're going to come to your door with AR-15. That's it. Are are people really that naive? Um, Yes. They're not naive because they believe that. They're naive because they want a news organization to lie to them. Right. Well, I will say one thing. I have I finally resigned myself, and this is something I have to say was really hard to, to accept. Please. That you cannot change these Republicans' minds that are, Correct. Um, are for Trump. I'm reading the book, um, Thank You for Your Servitude. I don't know if you've read that. I haven't, but, but I've heard is, of it. It really is. It really profiles Trump from the day that he started in office and was uh, complaining about how small uh, that they were lying about how small the people were on the Capitol on his inauguration. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, bellyaching about everything since. This petulant child whose parents never said no. It's very insightful how. 
uh, in this book a little bit of, of uh, like Lindsey Graham and all of them. And one of the things on the back of the book is that is an anonymous quote is, we're just waiting for him to die. <laughs> yeah. But that was that was classic. So. Well, I I talk about Donald Trump's death a lot. I talk about his death quite a bit, yeah. and I don't wish for his death. I always say this: I don't want him to die. I, I want three ghosts to visit him on Christmas Eve and make him a good person. But I tell everyone out there, please take good care of yourself. Try to try to break a sweat three times a week. Try to watch out on the meat, wheat, and dairy. Watch the alcohol and the drugs and the partying. Stay healthy. Break a sweat a few times a week. Yeah. Stay healthy because everyone yeah. listening to this show deserves to live long enough to see Donald Trump fucking die because he's going to fucking die someday that mouth will stop that hideous anus like lips will stop and he will be quiet and you will still be alive because you took care of yourself and stayed alive long enough to watch Donald Trump be fucking dead I tell this to everybody don't you want to see who Melania brings to the funeral as a date (laughs) take care of yourself people stay alive I like your thoughts thanks John thanks for taking my call thank you and by the way Oh, thank you so much. And by the way, this is no hard feelings against Trump. We all got to go sometime. I don't want him to die. I want Trump to live a very long time. I'd like him to live in The Hague for decades. Yes? Uh, A friend of mine's friend says they don't want him to die. They want him to have a stroke and sit in a chair and drool. (laughs) Well, gee, that's almost too brutal for me even to comment on. Uh, But as a fan of comedy, I appreciate their creativity. No, all I'm saying is I don't... Listen, guys, I'm not here to hurt the guy. I'm not here to pee on his grave. He'd probably like it. <laughs>